This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! This is Matt Baum checking in from Hollywood, California, and I'm just here to tell you that you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast with Joe Patrick and Jared Savitas. Welcome to the second attempt at episode 137 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 30th. My name is Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not going prematurely bald from the stress of trying to single-handedly keep this podcast empire alive, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. Toots take two! We were sabotaged! And I'm Jared Savitas, at Willie Toots on the Twitter, and when I'm not pulling Joe's fat out of the fryer every time his partner skips town... I'm the head back issue curator at Legend Comics and Coffee and the dungeon master of the Shadowfellas, aka the Kinky Wizards, each and every month right here in the bowels of the Ziggurat. This week, you'll hear our reviews of Sandman Overture number one and TMNT Villains Micro Series number seven. After that, we'll review 10 of this week's comics faster than you can say, Matt Who! during the ludicrous speed round, and then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where clean living. And quiet meditation will open up the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, Jared and I will review Paul Pope's Battling Boy for the second time during our Take the Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we get to all the scrambling unpreparedness and recycled opinions, let's take a moment to console Matt and Casey Baum after my THN fantasy football team, Bus Full of Nuns, soundly defeated both of them in weeks seven and eight. Then we'll talk about this week's big news. This week, news surfaced of DC Entertainment's plans to centralize their business operations in the near future, including relocating their publishing division from its longtime home at 1700 Broadway in New York City to Burbank, California, where their entertainment division is based. In an email to staff sent Tuesday, DCE President Diane Nelson stressed that the move is more than a year away, allowing for as smooth a transition as possible, and that all DC staffers will be given the opportunity to relocate. Though it seemed to some that this news was inevitable following their executive restructuring in 2010, I personally find it a little heartbreaking. Uh, New York City has always seemed like the hub of comics culture for decades, and it's sad to me to see that era come to an end. Marvel's chief creative officer, Joe Casada responded in a similar fashion, saying, quote, To me, comics are New York City, and New York City is comics. We all know that the first character to put his underwear on over his pants was created in Cleveland, but it was New York City that gave him his start. It was New York City that provided the spotlight, and it was here that he and all those that followed in his footsteps became famous. So to see a piece of that publishing tradition shift to the West Coast saddens me because it's the end of an era, and yes, while I've always loved to tweak our crosstown pals, New York City will admittedly be a little diminished by DC's absence. Jared, what do you think of this? Do you have that same kind of, not investment or connection, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got it's you. always I got felt you. like... I got you. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was, you have your big two there. Yeah. Like, the big two were there, and that was their main hub. And, I mean, I am not I don't know. I don't. I don't feel really one way or the other about it. I. I. I here's what I kind of think it is. I think it may be another DC mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
I don't know. With so much focus on, like, say, you know, the uh, Comic-Con, which is down there in the California. So uh, maybe they're just getting closer to that since they're, if they're making this big push in movies and things like that, and they kind of just want to all be hub there. The thing I think it could screw is staff because people remotely work so much these days you know right. with all of the technology we have at our hands i mean the reality is that the comics will probably change very little at least at first because most of the creators are spread all over the the world even yeah right but you've got all these editors and and staff members that might relocate might not some people might leave the company during this transition Sure. So, like, it's kind of a shakeup in of, that sense. A little bit of fallout. Yeah, you know, but, you know, maybe they'll do, maybe they'll still re- retain a satellite office, you know? Sure. You know? It's just, it's kind of weird. It's weird to have an attachment to the idea of DC and Marvel being in New York, but to me, it's always seemed as kind of like this mythical place <laughs> where that if you were a comic fan and you went to New York City, that this is where all the stuff that you loved came from, and... uh it's it's kind of strange to see it go, but you know we we're living in the digital age. Yeah. So yeah, I I almost see that the growing community of comics in what's like Washington, like in Seattle. Yeah, right? like Portland, that, Portland, and the, like yeah, all that stuff upper, is like mm-hmm. that is growing in power. So you know, to me, spread it around. Let's <laughs> spread the love around. So says Willie Toots. In the letter column of last week's Daredevil 32, editor Steve Wacker dropped a bomb on readers. The critically acclaimed fan-favorite series will end in February with issue number 36. Now, before you take up torches and pitchforks and start forming your angry mob, take heart. By all accounts, this ending looks like a precursor to a Marvel Now relaunch just in time for the character's 50th anniversary. Though series artist Chris Somney confirmed the news on Twitter, the timing of the anniversary, when paired with recent statements by writer Mark Wade, marks a relaunch all but inevitable. In an interview with Newsarama regarding his plans for DD's birthday, Wade said, quote, They're interesting and quite unexpected and quite familiar at the same time. They may or may not involve a drastic shift in Matt Murdock's career and lifestyle, but we do know this one thing for sure. The Wade, Somni, Rodriguez, Caramanga, let's say that right, Caramanga, Caramagna team isn't going anywhere, and we're striving for new heights. This week, Marvel announced that Wade will launch a weekly digital-only infinite comic called Daredevil Road Warrior with artist Peter Krause one week after the release of Daredevil 36. In the new series, Matt Murdock and at least... One unnamed member of his supporting cast will leave New York City on a road trip to the West Coast, just like DC. A high-profile launch seems like a lock, but with no official word from Marvel, the future of the series is still up in the air. Joe, in the event that Wade and Somni are off the book, how does Marvel top what they've achieved with the character over the past few years? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's been on such a high the last... The last three years almost, it seems uh, a shame to see it come to an end. But like everything Marvel right now, it might not actually be ending, and I'm kind of hopeful. I'm not. I'm not uh, ready for Wade to leave or Somni yeah, for that matter. Right. I'm with you there. 
if, if this is kind of a big shakeup and he's leaving New York City, which it's funny. Uh, I did not intend for this story and the DC story to be <laughs> paired together. Sure. Uh, we're kind of mixing a little bit of last week's news in here with this week's news. But it's kind of a similar thing. Daredevil is so closely tied, not only to New York City, but to his neighborhood. Sure. Hell's Kitchen in New yeah. York. That to have him, you know, leave that and and go on adventures elsewhere doesn't seem true to the character. But uh, I trust Mark Wade. He's a writer that's earned that trust. If they can, you know, just use this as a springboard for another great story, then I'm willing to see where it goes. If Wade and crew are leaving the book, I honestly don't know who could possibly step into their shoes without it being drastically different. Okay. Now, I kind of, you know, opposite of you here, Joe, uh, in one fact that How I... How dare you, sir! I, I, <laughs> I've always kind of enjoyed when you take a character out of their, like, natural... We'll go with natural habitat. Right. And uh, put right. them somewhere else. Like, I, I, I've always... Like I think back to when Spider-Man went to, I believe it was Scotland in that uh, graphic novel. Charles Vest drew it. Mm -hmm. Uh, At one point, Spider-Man, he got all suited up. He's like, all right, I'm going out. And he gets all suited out and he's like, I got nothing to swing off of. (laughs) I got to, I can maybe hop around from rooftop to rooftop, but I can't, I got nothing to swing on. There's no buildings. Now, the one exception is my boy Kazar here. I do not like when you take him out of the savage land and put him in the city. <laughs> Same with Tarzan. Don't do it. Keep him in the jungle. But uh, with Daredevil, I think it'll be fun. It'll be a fun opportunity, you know, because you're also going to get the take of the city from him. You know what I mean? Like, he'll be like, oh, this is a totally different style of town. I don't know if he's going to get any more sort of input because, I mean, hell, New York City is insane. So, yeah, like, his yeah. sensors are getting overloaded there. You would think it's not going to be much different there. But, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see where they take that. Yeah, I'm willing to give anything a try. I just, uh, I worry. I worry when they move my cheese, Jared. I get it. I <laughs> Finally, Telltale Games, developers behind the critically acclaimed and insanely popular episodic adventure games based on The Walking Dead and Fables have released a teaser trailer for The Walking Dead Season 2. The trailer is a teaser in every sense of the word, offering grim reminders of where the story has taken us so far without revealing anything new about the story's direction. The company also revealed that players will take control of Clementine in the new season, the young girl that we were responsible for safeguarding in Season 1. Jared, as THN's resident video game guru, what do you think? You know, I am a little mixed on it. Okay, now, I I like the game. I am playing it for the first time, The Walking Dead. Yeah. It is, I, w- I was really excited that an episodic arcade game won Game of the Year. Like, to me, I was like, wow. Yeah. That's saying something. So, as I was playing it, I was like, first episode in, I'm like, wow, I, I see it. This is great. This is interesting. Oh, no. Timed event. I got to make a quick choice. (laughs) Things like that. But then every episode followed the exact same formula. Every episode is like, okay, guess what? Here's a little tense situation, a little walking and talking, make your your decisions. And then it's like, stop. Walk around this area. Talk to everybody. Look for things. You know, it never occurred to me. 
It, every episode is that way. Because I played them, you know, months Separate. apart, yeah. not all in one. No, shot. I'm playing it all in yeah. one big, one big go. And I'm like, okay, well, this is formulaic. Yeah. And not that I mind a whole lot because what game isn't like okay to compare it to like every single Arkham Batman game. Yeah. It's kind of the same. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But different. I'm playing the new Batman game and it's samer than most. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't really begrudge sequels for doing that. I'm gl- I think Telltale ha- has got something going on. Like to present a game in such a storied format, like where the story is what carries the game. Mm-hmm. You know, that is really great. And and we've talked about that before. Where I, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there. Now, I had this first game spoiled for me. A customer came into the legend, and there was just random talking going on. Sure. And he just was like, blah. Yeah. And I was like, well, thank you. (laughs) Now I don't even need to play it. But um, I did not, this whole kind of Clementine being a playable character as a spoiler, I really didn't see. Nobody really expected Clementine to die. I didn't expect Clementine to be a dead character by the end of the series. Yeah. So that I don't think is much of a spoiler. My question is if you're if you're playing as Clementine in this game, is Clementine going to be doing the same type of hard <laughs> like making hard yeah. decisions? Like Clementine is not in charge of anything. She's like 8. Yeah, well, is she going to take the turn? Is she going to be turn? ganking zombies? Yeah, is she going to take the turn? <laughs> is she going to become like Carl oh, in man. this? Will Telltale have the balls to do that to mature to like her. mature her to the point where she's gonna point a gun. Yeah. Well, and that the thing about The Walking Dead is that even though it's been going for ten years now, not a whole lot of time has passed in the story. So maybe a year or two to these characters. Yeah. It, so I can't imagine them making a huge time jump. Yeah, it's hard to tell her age and really, making her older. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. What they do, there was a a kind of a bridging episode that came out after the initial five. Yes. I have not played that yet. Right. But I have played the Fables game. Oh, you have? And while it is similar in gameplay, you know, investigate, talk to people, stop, look around, click on stuff, make a quick decision. I really liked it. I understand what you're saying about it being... Very formulaic if you're playing them all at once. Uh, as an overall experience, I really enjoyed it, and I'm excited to, to see it come back. Yeah, I'm into it too, man. Telltale, keep, do, keep, keep on trucking, buddies. Keep on trucking, buddies. That's the big news for this week. And if you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on our forums where Joe and I are staging a dramatic reading of last week's script in an effort to make up for letting you down our loyal audience. We're so sorry. (laughs) Every Friday, my man, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on our new THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Hey, Joe, what'd you ask these list of nerds this week? (laughs) This week's question comes to us courtesy of loyal listener Nathan Bradford. What is your favorite song about comic books or comic characters? There are a lot of them. Oh, just there's so many just about Superman. I know. Now here's the deal. We went through this spiel last week. <laughs> so I'm going to try to summarize. 
The answer of the week podcast is taking a couple weeks off while Matt's out of town. So while normally we ask you to give us a call at the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894, Skype us at the username 2 nerd, whatever. For the next couple weeks, we want you to take your answers to the forums and discuss it with us there. I'll be there. I've got my ideas. I've already got my favorites picked out. Maybe Wooly Toots will show up. Who knows? Anything can happen. And we will have this discussion on the forums. When Matt comes back, the answer of the week will be back. And we're going to need those phone calls, buddies. Don't just think that because we're taking a couple weeks off that you are off the hook. I know that a couple of you called in last week <laughs> expecting to hear your voices, and I'm sorry. Aww. I wish it could be different, but this is how it is. It's review time on THN, where Jared and I strap two of this week's comics together at one wrist, put knives in their free hands, then throw them in the ring to see which one comes out on top. Jared. What did you pick this week, and does it have what it takes to survive? Oh, I think it does. For this week, I chose Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Villains Micro Series number seven. That's a mouthful. Oh, uh, yeah. It is by IDW, written by Ben Bates and Dustin Weaver. Art by Ben Bates. Is it written by Ben Bates? Uh, according to Diamond Date, it was co-written by Ben Bates and Dustin Weaver. That guy is invested. All right. He really is. Here is the solicit. The ID Dub's debut of these powerful villains has arrived. The routine life of a street-level goon can get dull. So when opportunity presents itself, these these twos won't let it pass them by. But as they are about to learn the hard way, there's more to being a successful mutant menace than just strength. Don't miss this bone-shattering issue that sets the stage for the final showdown in City Fall. All right, Joey Jojo, I tell you this. I've often said that things I loved about the 80s should remain in the 80s. For me, <laughs> anyways. Because you can never go back, Joe Patrick. So I've That's st- what they say. <laughs> so I've stayed away from G.I. Joe, Transformers, He-Man, all the turtle stuff. But I saw that you know they were bringing back... Man, I these dumbass characters, Bebop and Rocksteady, <laughs> from that dumbass cartoon into the current comic continuity. I really, I had no choice but to check this book out. And Joe, I'm happy to say, I thought the book was actually really fun. Weaver, oh, and I guess his buddy Ben now, they give us the backstory of the two mutants, and we do get to follow them from their not so great beginnings to their not so great yet enhanced mutant beginnings from street thug to foot soldier the two gang members fight and flex and freak out starting from page one and it's a blast to be along for the ride weaver took characters i could give two shits about and made them interesting and funny not just two idiot beasts now sure they don't always do the best thing and they react without thinking but that's what's great about it it's like watching two tornadoes tear, smash, rip, punch, and shoot through the comic panels. And Bates' artwork, it's a great fit for these characters. His style is uh, cartoony, but uh, it's also really detailed and stylized. And the action scenes he draws are really kinetic and crazy. The character designs for the different gangs and the thugs in those games are really cool. And the book was a definite highlight for me of my reading this last week. I am going to go and give it a buy it, which I really didn't expect to do. But I had a, I had a hoot. It was a hoot. Thing. 
So do you you don't read the turtles book? I don't read the turtles book. Okay. And like I said, so like characters and stuff that came out of the cartoon just disappoint me. Sure. I I want to say this, Joe. The cartoon for me as a young lad, I think was the first time I ever was in that position where I was like, "What did they do? They ruined my book." You know, like nowadays we say it all the time. Yeah. It's not the book. It's not as good as the book. But I think that's the first time I ever was like, what did they do? Listen, Joe, I had to learn who the turtles were by the weapons they were wielding, not by the color they were wearing. <laughs> okay? I put in my time. So then you give us a cartoon where they're all wearing different colors saying cowabunga. God, get it out of my face, Joe. <laughs> so, like, yeah. So, like I said, these guys, to me, were always dumb. You sure. know, it's like, they're dumb. Krang is dumb. This stuff's dumb. But this was fun. I liked it. I agree. It was tons of fun. I loved the art. Ben Bates's art was really good. Yeah, it was great. I don't read the book. I don't read the series at all. I, I've read maybe one or two when Matt picks it for the show. Yeah. And so I was surprised by it. It was a lot of fun. I am uh, somebody that grew up with the turtles from the cartoon, not the comic. Yeah. And so, you know, not that I'm overly attached to it, but, you know, I am very familiar with Bebop and Rocksteady and their whole deal. And it was kind of neat to see them in this this light. Uh, I love the fact that they were just like <laughs> they were the same when they were normal. <laughs> just yeah. they were when they were yeah. a, a rhinosaurus <laughs> and, yeah, a, yeah. and a boar monster. So I'm giving it a buy it as well. I actually thought I'd give it a skim it, but it really is just a, a like you said, it's a hoot. Yes. Yeah. And uh, sometimes that's enough. It's just a good time. And what more do you need? Joe? What did you read this week, my friend? This week, I'm reviewing The Sandman Overture number 1 from DC Comics Vertigo imprint, written by Neil Gaiman, with art by J.H. Williams III, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Todd Klein. Oh, wait, real quick. Yeah. Dustin Weaver. Is that the same Dustin Weaver that draws Marvel's Infinity and S.H.I.E.L.D.? I don't know, Joe. <laughs> Can there be two Dustin Weavers out there? Anyway, that's what, something I'm, I thought of. I'm going to go to the Nets <laughs> while, gonna... you, while you do our review. All right. Back to Sandman. Uh, here's your solicit. I'm not going to read that solicit again. I read it. I read, well, I read it last week. <laughs> You're not going to hear it. But the solicit is all about how important Sandman is and, and, and the cultural significance. It's not really about the book. It's been... 17 years since Neil Gaiman wrapped up his 75-issue run on The Sandman. In that time, there have been several projects tying into the world he created, some even written by Gaiman, but Sandman Overture marks the first time that Gaiman has returned to these characters in a real way in years, and that is a big deal. Capital B, capital D, big deal. (laughs) Sandman is one of the most critically acclaimed comics of all time. The series and its spinoffs have won literally dozens of Eisner Awards. It was the first and probably only comic to win the World Fantasy Award. I say probably because there's a um, like an urban legend out there that the World Fantasy Award people were so out of sorts that a lowly comic book could win this award that they changed the rules to prevent it from ever happening again. It's so well regarded that it continued to collect awards and honors for years after it ended. It is the Tupac of comics. 
The creation of the entire Vertigo imprint was made possible in part by the success of Sandman. So why am I bothering to tell you all of this? So that you know that when you see a new addition to the Sandman mythos on the stand written by Neil Gaiman and tailor-made for the transcendent art of J.H. Williams III, you do what you have to to check it out, even if that means putting a couple of Marvel titles back on the shelf. The beauty of Sandman was that it defied genre. It transitioned from horror to fantasy to fairy tale to Shakespearean drama and everything in between. The first issue of Sandman Overture is no different as it begins with a prologue with a kind of uh, sci-fi bent before immediately transitioning to post-Victorian London without missing a single beat. Gaiman breathes voices into his characters and it's like catching up with old friends. Morpheus is callous sometimes condescending and still somehow sympathetic. The writer reconnects with several old favorites like Death, Destiny, the Corinthian, Lucian, and Merv Pumpkinhead, who is one of my faves. Gaiman successfully touches base with several of the series' core concepts and characters, introducing them to new readers and refreshing the memories of old ones and does it organically. Nothing really felt like you know, you're checking things off a list, and now we introduce, now we show you the dreaming, and now we show you death. You know, it all kind of flows. The art by J.H. Williams III is some of the most beautiful work I've ever seen. Like Game and Shift genres, Williams switches art styles in a way that seems effortless. The early scenes set in Morpheus's dream office, which sounds silly, but it's awesome, are particularly stunning with their kind of, like, woodcut Uh, appearance the scenes featuring destiny and death flow out from the pages of destiny's book and there's a fold-out sequence at the end that begs to be read in print i can't imagine it would have the same impact digitally though you can read it digitally williams's art teamed with the uh, ethereal colors of dave stewart who we are fans of from his work in the hellboy universe and the brilliant lettering by todd klein make this one of the most visually impressive comics i've ever seen And I say all this as a Sandman fan, so granted, I'm a little biased. And I honestly don't know how a non-fan would react to this issue. I thought it seemed accessible to new readers, but it was still demanding. It's not a simple read or a casual read. But I think that it's worth the cost, the time, and the effort it takes any comic fan to sink it out. I'm giving Sandman Overture number one my strongest buy it. What did you think, Jared? Get ready for this, Joe. I'm ready for it. For I am not... A Sandman fan. So here is exactly what you wanted. That's what I want. What is the reaction of a non-fan? Okay. I want to say, here's a little bit of background. I've never picked up Sandman. I want to say it was a book that I felt, you know, in life, there's those things where people say to you, you gotta do this. You gotta do that. (laughs) Sure. And then you're like, no, I don't gotta. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sandman to me was a book that people have always said, have you read it? You should read it. Have you read it? You should read it. And I was like, I will not read it. There is so much of it to go back to try to tackle it. It's a huge undertaking. The library is immense. The main, the main series is 10 volumes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, again, through my comic book history, I always kind of looked at Sandman like, that's the book that the goth kids read. I just, you know, it was that whole, I wear black on the outside because I'm black on the inside book, and so I just wasn't, I wasn't attracted to it at all. I'm still only mildly interested by it. But I do think that J.H. Williams is a freaking powerhouse of an artist. 
So I think anything that the guy does deserves a look. I have read other gaming things. I really enjoyed the Graveyard book. I really enjoyed Coraline, both the comic adaptation and the prose version. I have read an occasional Sandman spinoff series. So here I go. I'm going to read the Sandman book. Now, I think you hit it on the head when you said that it is a demanding read. Mm -hmm. I do feel like a new reader could pick it up and not have to know anything that has come before. You might, you know, the way you get introduced to characters, you're like, who's this guy? Okay. He's got got eyes that are mouths of teeth. (laughs) He eats eyes. Okay. You know, so there's some getting used to. But it is gorgeously presented. And as you said, that fold-out page, I love when comics do that. When a comic book is like, hey, guess what? It's not just a single page. Fold that puppy out, and here's like three or four pages. Uh, that, it was gorgeous. And to see like all the different Sandmen in it. Like that's, it's a new, a, that's a new thing to me as well, the, these sure. multiple versions like that. That was really cool. And J.H. William draws each one so differently yeah that it just boggles the mind and that's kind of what the whole comic did to me joe it kind of boggled my mind i was like oh man where's it going what is it doing i don't know anything about this universe can i keep reading it now myself i have to give it a skim it because of those reasons because i feel like it's it's dense it's heavy if you are a sandman fan you are probably buying it without question we don't need to tell you to do it I'm the type of guy where I see this book and I'm like, okay, being a J.H. Williams fan, I would want it. But the format I would want it and would want to read it would be collected because then that way I could just chew through it and and take it all in as a chunk as opposed to uh, I'm, I'm the type of guy that I love the format of like an image book where they put all the ads at the back because if I'm reading a book like a DC book, a Marvel book, and those those damn ad pages take me out of it. I know there's such a thing that I've seen them for years, seen them for 30 years, but they take me out of a book like that, like instantly. For me, a heavy book like this, I can't read it broken up. I can't read it from month to month. I can't read it with ad page interruptions. I just need to soak it all in as a mass download. Sure. <laughs> so that's how I'm going to take it. Okay. So there's my stance. <laughs> Very good. And I think that that's fair. And I kind of expected that that might be your reaction. Well, I thought that they presented each idea in a way where it's like, okay, well, this is obviously where Morpheus lives and these are his crew that work for him. You don't really need to know anything about them. I just happen to. Yeah. You know, uh, the Corinthian with the eyeball, uh, the teeth, mouth, eyes. Merv pumpkin head. Yeah, you know, um, you know, there's definitely a story there, but their story is not the point of this book. Obviously. You know, yeah. so I think that that is absolutely fair. And I think that the point is that we can both agree on is that at the very least, you need to pick it up and look at it. Yes. Go to the store and look at it. And... It because it's it's amazing. It's visually amazing, and like you can probably back up a truck full of Eisners right now because <laughs> that's that's what this is. Now, 
So that's a double buy it for TMNT Villains Micro Series 7 and a huge buy it and skim it for Sandman Overture number <laughs> one. Of course, we do want to know what you mutated morons and dream kings thought of these comics. So be sure to hit us up with your opinions over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. It's so easy. Every time Matt decides to be a rock star again, I'm left holding the bag. It ain't easy to write a new segment, read a giant stack of comic books, and try to replicate the lowbrow filth that Matt passes for jokes every week. But somehow, my man Willie Toots and I got it done. Not once, but twice. Two times! So join us as we read and review ten comics so fast, our opinions probably shouldn't be trusted during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Saga, number 15 from Image. You're reading Saga, right? Tell me you're reading Saga. Oh, I'm reading it. It's like the hipster comic book series. Seriously, Saga is so good. Brian K., Period Vaughn, and Fiona Staples have got one of the best series going right now. The characters and universe they've created continues to grow with each issue, and the series has great humor and emotion. This issue ends with one of the best cliffhangers of the series to date. If you like sci-fi, fantasy, romance, and action, you really should try this series out. The first trade is only 10 bucks. Get caught up now. Buy it. Joe is going to read X-Men Battle of the Atom number two, Marvel. What a hot mess this turned out to be. This crossover started strong, but ended in a flurry of unintelligible nonsense. <laughs> Hordes of characters making irrational decisions, behaving contrary to their established personalities just to set up a future status quo. Rushed and unclear art, time travel rules that make no sense, and a conclusion that we could have had five issues earlier had the characters just stopped to have a damn conversation. This issue does have some fun moments, but the last half of this event didn't live up to the promise of the first. I'm giving it a skim it. Danger Girl, The Chase, number two from IDW. Oh, Dan Panoshan, you can draw a damn fine cover. And I blame him for getting me to read this book. <laughs> Seems the girls of danger are chasing down a deadly covert operative with a mysterious briefcase. The operative just happens to be a sexy tattooed ninja girl. So our sexy D-girls fight and chase and chase and fight their sexy adversary all the while striking super sexy poses. I haven't read any Danger Girl since 2008 and I find I really don't miss it. But I once found these girls very entertaining and have the action figures to prove it. Leave it. Astounding villain house one shot dark horse. Cartoonist Shannon Wheeler brings us a group of tales about some loser supervillains in a medium security prison. These aren't your Doc Ox and Dr. Dooms. This is the Squid. And I don't even remember the other guy's name, but they're, no, they're morons. Totally bizarre. A lot of fun. This is a reprint of the Dark Horse Presents material, so it's a buy it from me if it's new to you. Superior Spider-Man number 20 from Marvel. I'm ready for a controversial opinion. The cover is misleading. I dig Felicia Hardy, a.k.a. the Black Cat, Marvel's Catwoman. By the cover, it seems her and Spider-Ock were going to have some sort of intimate interlude, which had me concerned. Because I don't much care for Spider-Ock, he's a creep. But in all actuality, there's maybe two pages of interaction between them, which I guess is a setup for how their relationship will continue going forward. But with not being a regular reader of this book, 
I'm not privy to Spider Ox motivations and this life that he is building. His girlfriend is interesting and odd. Mary Jane's story is touched on and it's dismissible. I feel like this issue, heck, probably the entire series, is a glaring setup for a Peter Parker return just so he can have a messed up life to come back to that he has to put back in order and repair relationships and blah, 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 status quo stuff for Spidey book. Which is why I broke, with, broke up with Spider-Man years ago. Leave it, Joe! Oh, damn! The Fox number one, Archie. Now, I have a soft spot in my heart for the old Archie superheroes, a.k.a. the Red Circle characters. I've probably mentioned it before. So I was already interested in this even before I saw that Mark Wade and Dean Haspiel were involved. This is a really neat Silver Age superhero throwback with two fun stories and great art that embraces its legacy. It's everything I used to love about DC Comics. Buy it! Thor, Crown of Fools, number one from Marvel. Here, we are presented with the movie version of Thor, Sif and the Warriors 3. It's like a promo piece for the upcoming movie. Thor and friends fall afoul of an ancient relic called the Crown of Fools, worn by a wayward frost giant. It's a problem only Thor and the mighty Mjornir can fix. This one shot also includes a reprinted and recolored issue of Walter Simonson's Thor, which focuses on Balder and the dark elf Malekith. The recoloring they've done to Simonson's Thor is top-notch. I applaud Marvel for taking the time to do that. The book also features no ad pages, so for the same price as any other top-tier Marvel title, you are getting one beefy book. Yet the original story here had little to offer by story's end. Just pick up the recolored Simonson's trades. Leave it. Damien, son of Batman, number one, DC. The man that brought us the single weirdest Villains Month issue is back behind the writer's desk for this miniseries, and I wish I could say his writing is as good as his art. Andy Kubert brings us a tale about Damien in a future that can't possibly have any ties to the current DC universe and thus loses all meaning. Kubert's Damien is an unlikable ass who shows none of the growth the character developed under the writers that came before him. Damien gets his leads from supervillain blogs? Commissioner Gordon is a priest? The Bat family is suddenly Catholic? (laughs) Neither the story nor the art can decide how old Damien is supposed to be. This is 20 pages of, for the most part, beautifully drawn nonsense. Leave it! Baltimore, the plague ships, number one from Dark Horse. Dark Horse jumps on the issue one for $1 program with a reprint of this book, and I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised that it's this book. If you've not read Baltimore before, you are in for a treat. Lord Henry Baltimore is Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden's brilliant mashup of Robert E. Howard's Solomon Kane and Melville's Captain Ahab. A deadly plague ends the First World War and vampires sweep across Europe. Baltimore has a mad on for the head vampire who started it all and obsessively hunts him across battlefields, ruined plague ships, zeppelins, coastal towns, and submarine graveyards. Baltimore's leap from novel to comic book format is gorgeously drawn and colored. I love this series. And holy it's only a buck! Buy it! Wild Blue Yonder number three, ID Dubs. I was going to review some Forever Evil tie-in here, but I was so taken by this issue, I just had to talk about it. I love this series. It's Firefly meets that weird-ass Disney cartoon Tailspin, a plucky crew on the run from sky pirates in a world where the skies are the only refuge from an environmentally ravaged Earth. Mike Raked, Zach Howard, 
Nelson Daniel, and Austin Harrison are doing an amazing job on this book. It's loads of fun, it's genuinely thrilling, and it's beautifully illustrated. Do not sleep on this one anymore. Seek it out, get the back issues, and support these guys because I want to be able to read about this world and these characters for a long time to come. Buy it! Clack, clack! That is your ludicrous speed round, and clack, clack is the sound of the sexy, skull-faced Madam Satan trying to take a bite out of the fox, as seen in this week's pages of The Fox Number 1 from Archie Comics. Each week, Matt forces me to sit through some kind of degrading, usually sexual, drug-fueled ritual in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, all in the name of expanding my horizons, air quotes. Well, no more! With Matt out of town, Jared and I are cleaning up this joint, going through a full detox, and getting our heads right with some peaceful meditation. Once the fog clears from our minds... We'll have a clear vision of next week's comics and show Matt that there's more than one way to enlightenment. Jared, now that you've got your head on straight, what are you excited for next week? With my mind at peace, I wish to read Fatal, number 18, from Image Comics by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Solicit, nominated for more 2013 Eisner Awards than any other comic. Everything goes wrong when Josephine appears in a Seattle band's music video and her effect on those who desire her runs wild. As the most exciting arc of Fatal continues. And remember, each issue of Fatal contains extra content, artwork, and articles that only are available in the printed single issues. Joe, what is your pick for next week? I am very excited for Amazing X-Men number one from Marvel Comics by Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis. That's two books, two Eds. Here's your solicit. An amazing new era for the X-Men starts here. Ever since Nightcrawler's death in X-Men Messiah Complex, the X-Men have been without their heart and soul. After learning that their friend may not be gone after all, it's up to Wolverine, Storm, Beast, Iceman, Northstar, and Firestar to find and bring back the fan favorite, Fuzzy Blue Elf. Two heads and two stars, Joe. I've missed them. <laughs> two heads and two stars. The DHN trade of the week is Jeff Smith's Bone, the Great Cow Race Artists Edition from IDW. Here's your solicit. Jeff Smith's Bone was launched through Cartoon Books in 1991, winning 10 Eisner Awards while being nominated for another 11. Bone is one of the most successful and critically acclaimed independent comics of all time. Now, ID Dubs presents The Great Cow Race, one of Smith's most well-regarded tales in the award-winning Artists' Edition format, featuring the entire Bone clan, Phone, Smiley, and Phony as well as Grandma Ben and Thorn, and of course, those stupid, stupid rat creatures. Don't miss what promises to be one of the finest artist's editions of the year. We want to know what you're excited for next week, so take a cleansing breath, clear your mind, and tell us over at the new comics section of the THN Forums. 
I feel that you shouldn't get involved in an intimate relationship until you are emotionally mature enough to handle it. Totally. Before we move on, Two-Headed Nerd is looking for brave advertisers and sponsors who aren't afraid of our constant co-host changes. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, the answer of the week, or just advertising on the site, shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship. Also, Joey Jojo, before we move on to answer your question, yes, it is the Dustin Weaver that draws infinity. Isn't that amazing? Weird. (laughs) That guy's multifaceted. Go to his Tumblr blog, and he's got pictures of him holding the issue and all kinds of pictures from his artwork that he does. So, yeah, man, that's the same guy. Weird. All right, now, back on track. Each month, we like to cast the floppies aside. Just throw them over there. And give our attention to a book with more than 20 pages in a little segment we call Take a Look, It's in a Book. Sometimes... We like a book so much, we try to do the review twice. This month, Joe and I checked out Paul Pope's Battling Boy from first second. Here's your solicit. When Battling Boy's father, a warrior god, drops him on a world infested with bloodthirsty monsters, he leaves his son with nothing but a magic credit card, a trunk full of enchanted t-shirts, and instructions not to come home until he's liberated the planet from its plague of monsters. It's one kid. Versus an entire world full of monsters and beasties. And the monsters don't stand a chance. It's weird. It's wild. And it's got more ideas than most books twice its size. Jared, what did you think? I told you last week, Joe. Come on. Okay, here's my thing. If anybody remembers, I did a ludicrous speed review. Kind of like they kind of did like a book to kind of hype this. They yeah. did a single issue of a comic. They were presenting it as the final issue in an ongoing series. It was the Invincible... What's his name? Is it... The Invincible Haggard West. Haggard West. I always want to say Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason. But it, The Invincible Haggard West. And that book is part of this collection here. Yeah, this, it's the uh, first yeah. chapter. It's like the first chapter, and then you run into uh, Batting Boy's father... And you get uh, introduced to their world and all that. And then after that introduction, it goes back to the final few pages of that comic. And I feel like that is a super interesting way to have uh, entwined the two stories. And for that to have been kind of a hype piece for Battling Boy, it's really wild. Because Haggard West, in that comic, I was like, oh man, this is super important. This guy is super important. His legacy is super important. But in Battling Boy, it's kind of a a setup. It's kind of a setup for maybe where Aurora, Haggard's yes. daughter, like it's, it's set up for her. And for, I think, what will be a future team up or relation they with have already Battling a, Boy. They have already announced that there is going to be an Aurora West which is, uh, well, side book. And here's what's awesome. Not, not, not to keep hanging on this Haggard West, Aurora West world, but everything like that is so deep and cool. Yeah. Like his secret rooms where he had all his stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Her trainer, the gal mm-hmm. that is teaching her and kind of like getting Aurora in shape to fill her father's boots is really cool and you don't get any of her back to backstory or anything but that is 
one little piece of this gigantic, awesome Paul Pope pie mm-hmm. we're getting here. Uh, because uh, as we've discussed before, Battling Boy's world, his father, that whole world is kind of a mashup of Asgard and uh, the new gods, yeah, right? Yeah, new Genesis. New Genesis mm-hmm. world. And that, <laughs> I loved it. Like, I just loved everything that Spook was doing. It felt like so many other different books, but that was fine. It was still so very original and packed so right. much into it. It's got so many different ideas uh, coming from so many different places. You've got this. You've got this world that's Earth, but not kind of. They live in kind of a like a science hero kind of thing. They don't have superheroes like we understand them. They have a guy with a jetpack and a ray gun. You know, kind of a Flash Gordon-y type rocketeer. Yeah, type yeah, guy. yeah, yeah, rocketeer and, and Batman. Uh, kind of pulpy. Yeah, and. Then you've got Battling Boy, who is descended from the gods, space gods, and and it's all very Kirby-esque. And, and you know, you've got these two kind of meshed together seamlessly. It's interesting, the the lead-in chapter, the, the Haggard West one-shot, which is all about Haggard's, Haggard West and his world and nothing really about Battling Boy, still, I feel, is a perfect setup for this book because this is the world that Battling Boy steps into. Sure. And it's as alien to him as his world is alien to us. Yeah. And, you know, he's got these t-shirts with, like, T-Rexes on them and griffins and, uh, I don't remember what else. All kinds of cool monsters. Yeah. uh, Mythology and stuff. And, you know, they they grant him a, uh, he thinks, they grant him power. And, you know, they kind of imply that maybe the t-shirts don't give him the power. The t-shirts are just kind of like a... It's like a blankie, you know, <laughs> like you, you feel safer <laughs> yeah, with it. Right. And uh, there's just so much going on in this book, and it's so exciting. Even the quiet and, and calm pages are just so compelling, and you, and you want to get through it. And, and uh, it just is a really well-told story. And I've never really read Paul Pope before. I've read a little bit of Batman Year 100, but beyond that, nothing. And so this was my first exposure, and I loved it. With uh, Paul Pope, I want to say my first major exposure where I read a lot was in Wednesday's comics that DC put out. Yeah, the Adam Strange. Yeah, they did that Adam Strange story, and I was like, holy buckets, this is great. Like, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with his artwork, and I fell in love with the way he did the story. So right after then, I started to search out some more of his work. That Batman, Year 100, like you mentioned, I picked that trade up. And then I picked up the recent collection they did of his one-trick ripoff, and mm-hmm. I don't know if 100% is in that or not, but it's got a bunch of different... like It's, it's multiple. Yeah, it's got a bunch yeah. of different short stories and stuff like that, and uh, I just think the guy's great now. Like he's got, He had a cult following, and now I am in that cult. I'm super excited for where he goes with this book. I don't care how long it takes. If we only get one volume every two years, that's fine. Take yeah. your time with it. Keep the quality up. Because it is a joy to read, man. If you like monsters and you like little kids punching them, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is for you, man. Yeah, it was, it was, like you said, it was a lot of fun. It's a quick read, but not in a bad way, not in a way that you feel cheated. It's, it's, it moves quickly because it's very well paced and very exciting. And it's a, it's a page turner. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, you're not slogging through it. I absolutely recommend it. This is a huge buy it from me. 
And you as well, I it's presume. A, it's a big battling boy. Buy it for me, buddy. I am eagerly awaiting the next volume, the Aurora West prequel book or whatever it is coming up. More of this. I demand it. We want to hear what you guys thought of Battling Boy, so sound off on the THN forums and let us know. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for this Seat of Our Pants episode of THN. If you'd like to help us maintain this level of professional quality, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, where you can give the show a star rating, a written review, or a Stitcher thumbs up. And help us to connect with other potential listeners. I said potential. God damn it. <laughs> hey, thank you to all our donors. And if you'd like to help us hire a reliable producer that won't drop the ball like a certain someone whose name rhymes with Matt Pomp, you can make your donation in any amount using our adorable little PayPal button at the twoheadednerd.com. It's right there. While you're there. You can find links to our Twitter feed at TwoHeadedNerd, our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel, THN Comicast, which will have videos on it that aren't aquarium-related sometime, our Sky panel, TwoHeadedNerd, all one word, and our new direct ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894, where you can send slash call us with your Ask a Nerd questions, or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading, or ask us to review your self-published comic printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show or just rap about comics, y'all. There's uh, all kinds of like topics up there. Movies, video games. I'm playing this new Batman game. I need somebody to talk to me, talk to me about it because it's kind of boring. <laughs> oh no! Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on that question of the week's discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Two Edit Nerd Answer of the Week podcast when it comes back. If you already subscribe to this show, you don't need to do a damn thing. It will just magically show up in your feed every Wednesday. Normally, the Answer of the Week will be back when Matt returns from his walkabout. Now, until then, bring your answers over to the discussion at the question of the week section of the THN forums. Next week, Ask a Nerd is back where we answer your burning comic questions or trivia challenges. So be sure to get your questions in soon via email, the forums, or the Ziggurat hotline. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to the murderer's row of podcasting talent I had lined up to guest host when I thought Matt was going to be gone for two months. You know who you are. Keep your pipes healthy, boys. We'll be singing this tune again before too long. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. Oh. <laughs> this is the two-headed. <laughs> Signing off. Yeah, that caught me off guard. <laughs> it's a wet, sloppy one with tongue. Oh, God.